Another edition of The Outsiders. Podcast number 40, Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. How are you doing today? I'm excellent. Ready to roll, Bryn. Yeah, we have two guests joining us on the program today. I'm looking very much forward to talking with the new Director of Communications for the Edmonton Oilers, Jamie Cartmel. And I'm really going to be kind of curious to see how he handles the superstars that the Edmonton Oilers have, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, because that's going to keep him busy. I'm sure he's got a thought or two on that coming up. Plus, he's also got a history with the Edmonton Eskimos and then Mm -hmm. went to the British Columbia Lions and was there for a good deal of time out in Vancouver before getting this great gig, and he's going to do a fantastic job at it. I'm convinced of that. Oh, no question. Hey, and an Edmonton guy who, you know, started here, went out to Vancouver for 14 or 15 years, and now he's back. And uh, in this town, I can't imagine a a better gig than uh, what he's got with the Edmonton Oilers. That's the big game in town. And he's back home uh, running that communication show. I'm looking forward to it. I always felt doing that gig in that position that you were dealing with, if not the number one brand, in the city, the number two brand, easily in the city. I'm thinking that the city of Edmonton is probably the only bigger brand than that of the mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers, and I'm not convinced that it's one-two that way because if you go to Europe and you mention you're from Edmonton, they immediately start talking about the hockey club. So it, it's a, it's going to be a gigantic challenge for him, and I'm pretty sure that he can, uh, he can raise his game to that position. The other guy that we have joining us on the broadcast is Kyle Brodziak, a former Edmonton Oiler, who's going to be taking part in the world's longest game of hockey coming up. We'll get into that a little bit later on. But there is a common theme here between these two guys, Robin. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, we just mentioned Jamie came here. He worked, uh, cut his teeth in the comms business uh, with the, with the uh, football club, and then went out to the coast for 14 or 15 years. Uh, experience never hurts. And now he's back home uh, with a great gig, uh, you know, in front of him. Kyle Brodziak, 214th player uh, drafted in the 2003 entry draft. That's a long shot no matter how you slice it. Uh, Made his way to the Edmonton Oilers, ended up leaving town, uh, made NHL stops, mainly Minnesota, Minnesota, St. Louis came back to Edmonton, played a year, forced out a year early on his contract because of a bad back. He's settled in the area now. Uh, be interesting to talk to him about uh, the journey he made and uh, what's next. Okay, let's get to a couple of hot topics before we get to Jamie Cartmel. 
And uh, I guess the biggest one, last week we were talking about the gold medal matchup coming up at the World Junior Hockey Championship. We weren't completely sure who would be in the gold medal final, but it ended up being the excited States of America against Canada. And we were talking a little bit about the fact that Canada was a little mercurial, I guess is probably the best word, through there. They were in the what we call the weaker pool. And it just seemed like they were playing to the level of their competition. But it's still that was still a really solidly put together team. But then they take on the Americans who were in the tougher pool and had to scramble and struggle and elevate their game. And sure enough, by the time they got to the gold medal matchup, Canada could not find the accelerator pedal while the U.S. looked good on their on their way to a gold medal final. But I, I, the one thing that I wanted to touch on, Robin, is I always get, get a little pissed off at the fact that so Canada, or we, didn't win the gold medal, so everybody wants to slam our guys and say, well, you know what, we never played a, you know, if we'd have been in a harder pool, it might have been better for us. Well, you know what, the Americans had to get through the hard pool just to get to the yep. gold medal final, and nobody's given them any credit. And I thought they played fantastic in that game against Canada. Yeah, this just in, the Americans are pretty good. Yeah. Um, they full marks for it. You know what? And one year doesn't matter to the next so much over a period of time. But the Americans, when they've, when the money's on the table, when the medals are on the table, uh, have Canada's number. And that's not a fluke. They've played well. They played well this time. Canada wasn't at its best, but they weren't awful. They had one game to play. They played in the pools that they did. That doesn't matter. When you get to the gold medal game, mano a mano. And Bring it. the U.S. was the U.S. was the better club. Yeah, They get the gold. Canada gets the silver. That's how it works. It's also very, very difficult these days to repeat as champion. We've seen that over the last 10 years. Okay, yep. a couple other little tidbits to throw out here. Uh, you and I were very excited to hear news today from the uh, the Coyotes down in Phoenix that they've, they've hired a new person to be their chief hockey development officer. Who is it? Oh, was it Steve Kelly? <laughs> no, no, it is not. It's Shane Doan, and you know it. And I'm very happy for Donor. That's a, that's a great hire for them. Yes, it is. You know what? Made himself a great career down there. Um, you know, when the franchise moved to the desert. And, you know, uh, Shane Doan did everything he wanted to do in hockey. He made a ton of dough. But here he is back in uh, hockey ops with uh, – the Arizona Coyotes, so good for him. He's a ring rat, always will be, and uh, not surprised that he'd catch on with the club he played for for so long. All the way from Warthog, Alberta. Oh, sorry, no, it wasn't Warthog. It was, what was the name of the place? Hallkirk, sorry, Warthog. Yeah. I just said that Warthog. for fun. Anyway, so uh, congratulations to Donor for that. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay, so the NHL season starts up this week. The Edmonton Oilers, the Calgary Flames, the Vancouver Canucks, Winnipeg Jets, Toronto Maple Leafs, Ottawa Senators, and the Montreal Canadiens will show and strut their stuff in the Scotia North Division. I'm not talking Honda West Division. I'm not talking about the Discover Central Division. And I'm certainly not talking about the Mass Mutual Eastern Division as the NHL have decided to sell the names to their division. Oh, my God, the uproar last week over that announcement. And I'm thinking... 
It was the Barclays English Premier League for years. Leagues and leagues and various sports have been doing this for a long time. The NHL is just catching up. Well, this just in. The NHL is looking for ways to generate revenue this uh, season yeah. because nobody's in the building. So, you know what? No big surprise. I was laughing a few weeks ago when it, the, the talk first started about advertising on helmets. Has anybody, wondering if that's a good idea, looked at a picture of a European game in the last 25 years? It's no big deal. You know what? If it stays because it's a good idea, uh, it'll stay. If it's only a uh, one-year thing because revenues are low or two-year thing, let it be. It's not desecrating hockey. It's raising uh, ad revenue, which we all NHL teams sorely need right now. Well, it's, it's fine. It's here to stay, and the jerseys are the jerseys are next. Pants maybe be maybe the next thing, but yep. I still remember I still remember when we went through this with board signs, and everybody wondered how long they were going to stick with that. Well, now you don't even notice it. You won't even notice a Roger sticker on the helmet of Connor McDavid if you're watching what he's doing on the ice. So, it's a lot to me. It's a lot of chirping by a lot of people, and it will go away at some point. Hey, I've been, before yeah. we go, I had the opportunity to watch part one on HBO Two. It was part one of the Tiger Woods story, and I thought I knew a lot about Tiger Woods because. I want to talk about a guy who uh, his story has been out there for quite some time because of his dominance in that particular sport. But mm-hmm. I was blown away. But I, I, as I tweeted out, I said, great front nine, because we have a second part coming up here within a week. But if you get a chance to download it or stream it, I, I'd highly suggest you do it. Whether you're just a casual golf fan or a fanatical golf fan, do it because you might look at Tiger just a little differently. And I know that it, I, I watched it and I went, I never knew that. And if your documentary can, if a documentary can do that for me to say, oh, I, I never saw that coming, then I think it's doing a really great job. I can hardly wait for part two, but I just wanted to recommend it because I thought it was pretty yeah. fantastic. Well, I tell you what, a guy like Tiger Woods doesn't do anything that goes unnoticed. Um, I haven't seen it. I certainly plan to. I just remember when things started to unravel for him, um, the joke was, well, did she use a one iron or a three iron to knock his teeth down his throat? Um, I guess there's a, there's a story behind everything. Oh yeah. And if you, if you, if you want the whole one, it sounds like this little series might be something worth taking in. Well, there are a few things uncovered that make a few other things make a little more sense. And that's what I, uh, as I said, I, I sat there and I went, ooh, okay, I never knew that. That's something new for me. Anyway, if you get a chance, uh, I would highly recommend you catch that Tiger Woods HBO documentary. Okay, let's get to our guests right away here because uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up. Coming up next, we're going to be chatting with the new director of communications for the Edmonton, Edmonton Oilers, and that is Jamie Cartmel, who's got a great past history as a real connection to a good friend of ours, Dave Jamison. He'll talk about that. Also, we had a chance to talk to Jamie earlier, and we wanted to know how you're going to handle the two superstars because the media are going to want a lot of Connor and are going to want a lot from Leon. So he had his thoughts on that as well, and we'll get right to that.
Let's go back a little bit before we start talking about the Oilers. You, how many years with the Edmonton Eskimos for you? Uh, four seasons with the Eskimos, 2002 to 2005. And then uh, 14 seasons with the BC Lions, 06 to 2019. You had the pleasure of working with Dave Jamison for a good chunk of that with the football club here in Edmonton. How, um, how did that whole thing go? I don't want to cry. So, um, no, Dave is, I, 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 the words don't describe Dave. He's, he's, you know, and I'm going to cry. No, he's a friend and a mentor. (laughs) I wouldn't be here without him. So yeah, it's tough. (laughs) Sorry about that. No, it's all right, uh, man. Yeah. I I don't know what to say about Dave. Like, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, I'm here and I've got, uh, Sean May, who, who's here, and he worked for Dave as well uh, with the Eskimos. And uh, yeah, like I'll be honest with you, like all through the um, all through the interview process with the Oilers and stuff, you know, Dave was he was making calls and talking to people, and you know, and he you know, giving me inside information on you know Bob Nicholson and Ken Holland and and just you know talking to the media and seeing you know where there are potential lapses or things they need to sort of be you know, rectified or, you know, how they view things and what their needs are. And, and it gave me, you know, there's, from what I was told, there's close to 120 people that applied for this position. So I probably, you know, I like to think I got it on some of my merit, but Uh, without Dave's insight and everything else, you know, it would have been tough. So I mean, I went to him and the people gave me the job, obviously, but uh, no, Dave was like huge, huge, still is. Well, you know, you know what, Jamie, you don't get this shot uh, unless you deserve it. And you're right about J-Mo. He's a terrific guy. Uh, one of the fun things for me would be to come over and help with on the Eskimo beat once my time was up, uh, you know, after hockey season and that. And I mean, Dave did a terrific job. And, and, and to be honest, I thought so did you. I'm, I'm thinking at that point, I'm, I'm the Oilers beat guy. Who's this young guy helping J-Mo? But it became obvious yeah. after a while who this young guy was. You go out to Vancouver, you do a really good job there. If you, I mean, I looked on, I looked at the feed about after you, you announced getting this job and, you know, what people like Farhan Lalji and all those people that dealt yeah. with you out there said, it's no surprise to me that you're here. But, man, that's a long time coming, eh, to be able to come back home after all those years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's um, yeah, it's hard. It really is hard to describe. I mean, I'm I'm from here. I grew up with this team. I was, you know, in high school when they were winning Stanley Cups. I mean, there was as Bryn, as both of you can attest, there was no better time to be a sports fan in Edmonton during the heyday of of you know the '80s and early '90s. You know, between the Oilers and the Eskimos, who are held in very high esteem uh, in the city as well. You know, at that time. It was it was the best. It was the best of times for 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 us as, as you know high schoolers growing up with the Oilers and stuff. So to to now be here and to you know when Kevin Lewis sending you an email after you get the job saying you know congrats or Craig Simpson. I mean yeah, you have to kind of pause a little bit. It's yeah. uh, it's strange. I mean it's not sort of fanboying out, but it's trust me. I mean it's 
it's very strange. You have to get used to that and just, you know, walk in these halls and in this building, which literally I set foot in for the very first time in my life last week. Like it's, it's just, it's very much a whirlwind and I'm, I'm trying to keep up, but uh, yeah, overall it's, it's been just an incredible experience. Hey, what did you learn in Vancouver that you think you can bring to the, the table with the Edmonton Oilers? Because communications is communications. The only difference is maybe, you know, the CFL, the NHL is a little higher up here, but the, it, it's still, there's still sure. professional leagues and you still learn a ton. What do you, what do you think you uh, learned over your time in Vancouver? Well, I think, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, obviously it's, it's different leagues and it's sort of a different, there's sort of a different, um, you know, the salaries are different, but I mean, it's still people. And quite honestly, it's the same people covering both leagues in, in a lot of these cities Yeah, in many ways. But, um, I think, I mean, if anything, if, if, if people describe this as a good hire, it's because I think that they, um, view me as a person who understands that, you know, I work for the club, I work with the media. So you have to kind of ride that line. But at the same time, you just, all it is, is it's all about relationships. And it doesn't matter if it's in Edmonton, it doesn't matter if it's in Vancouver, and it doesn't matter if it's hockey or football. It's all about relationships. It's relationships with the players, relationships with your senior staff, and relationships with the media. And it's just a matter of, you know, that's why they call it public relations or media relations, because you truly are managing relationships. And a big part of those relationships is trust and respect. So no different in your personal life. I mean, so I think I learned um, in Vancouver that, I don't know, you just, you, every day you have to work at maintaining relationships. Yeah, I mean, that's the, if you're starting with that on square one, you've, you, you've got it down pat because really, bottom line, that's what it is. Um, Jamie, we chatted briefly this morning before you came on with us. Uh, I was, I was noting, uh, uh, you know, the Oilers were, in that Stanley Cup final, which is as close as they've been uh, since you left. And they've gone through seven coaches and five general managers since you left. And those glory days, you can never take them away, but they're, they're well in the rearview mirror. And now you're working with a bunch of people. Uh, you know, Kevin Lowe is still with the Oilers, uh, although not directly in hockey ops. Ken Holland and Dave Tippett. The cast of characters is largely different, but it's still the National Hockey League and it's still the Edmonton Oilers. Um, as a kid, did you ever think it would unfold like this? I mean, did you were you a kid who s- said one day, man, I'd love to work with the Edmonton Oilers because if playing isn't your thing, the next best thing is being with the team one way or another. You know, what's funny is I remember, so my dad, um, you know, we didn't have season tickets or anything. So we saw the odd game here and there. We also saw, saw, you know, a number of WHA games. I remember seeing, you know, Messier come in here as a Cincinnati stinger and things okay. like that. But, you know, we saw games where, you know, Wayne had signed all the uh, contracts as a, whatever it was, 19-year-old or 20-year-old. So I went to some pretty, some pretty interesting games. I just remember having that picture because everyone got, a, you know, a, a complimentary picture, autograph picture of Wayne from, from that day where he signed the, that famous picture of him signing, you know, the cake center ice from signing the contracts and stuff. And I said, yeah, I'm going to play. I'm going to play with him one day, dad. <laughs> <There's my> dad. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. We'll see about that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, admittedly, I think the communication side of things are working with the club. 
I mean, I don't know if I envisioned that as a kid. I think that was sort of just, I think I wanted to work in sports from, from sort of a late teens. And I got into some interesting um, opportunities. I worked at the World Junior Basketball Championships that rolled through Edmonton in the early 90s. I think it was 92 or 93. Got to meet, you know, scouts from the NBA and, you know, the director of scouting for the NBA, Marty Blake. And they all gave me glowing letters of recommendation that I tried and, and talking to them. And I, you know, I tried to sort of do something with the Spokane Chiefs at one point and, so I was always kind of, you know, just sort of trying to get my footing somewhere. I eventually went back to school, went to, went to Grant McHugh and did the public relations program there. And I mean, I don't think, I know I'm not a big believer in luck. Um, I think you can, there can be fortunate circumstances or fortunate timing, but I'm not a big believer in luck because I think that if you are someone who's depending on luck to get somewhere, then you're not really being sort of, you know, honest with yourself if things don't work out, can you just blame it on bad luck, you know? And mm. I think that, um, while I think it was sort of in the back of my mind and something that I thought, well, that's not likely to happen, but go and see Bryn Griffiths and see what's going on. Maybe I can, maybe there'll be something or at least show some interest. And fortunately there was something at the Eskimos at the time in 2002. And like you say, came in and I looked after accumulations and I was an assistant to Dave and, the timing worked out and then, yeah. you know, BC, you know, the situation, the timing worked out, but you don't get the job because of luck. You get the job because you're qualified for, excuse me, sorry, you're qualified for the job. And that's why I just, I can't, I, I believe in fortunate circumstances and timing and other people's circumstances that lead to you getting an opportunity. But in the end, you have to have the merits to do the job. So, um, I think along the way, I probably would have never, I probably wasn't ready 20 years ago, obviously. Um, but it took 20 years to get back, and here I am. Well, when you sat with me in my office in Oilerland, the fact yeah. that you were so well-driven, I knew you were you were going to land on your feet somewhere. It's just there was no position when, when you came exactly. in and, and we chatted. But I still remember that conversation yeah. vividly, and it was a lot of fun. And it's great, great for me to pick your brain as much as you were picking mine. But... Now you're coming into a situation here. You have to deal with the media, and you also now have two superstars on your hands who are going to <laughs> yep. take a lot of your time. And I'm, yep. Sean May is another guy you work with who's fantastic. And now yep. it's almost like you got to give Sean the hockey club while you look after the two superstars because the way things are going to work, these two guys are going to take a ton of your time, and you know that. Yes. Um, yeah, yes, uh, would be the short answer, but I, you know, there's some nuance to it too. I mean, I don't want to be in Connor's world every day and I'm sure he doesn't want me in his world every day. So I think for us, it's just a matter of sort of, you know, we need to have a plan, you know, for those guys and we need to be respectful of their time. And in the end, I mean, um, I want to win, you know, like I'd like to get a ring. You know, I've been yes. fortunate to get four Grey Cup rings. I'd really like to get a ring. So part of my job is to remove distractions, um, remove distractions from Coach Tippett's world and remove distractions from Connor and Leon's world while at the same time being respectful of a president who would like to sell the building out once we have fans back. So, And the media is the conduit to the fans. And so, you know, you have to sort of do both. And... And in terms of dealing with, you know, Connor and Leon specifically, and I'm admittedly, this is, I'm sort of giving you insight on how you do this job, but 
you know, you can't just be in their world immediately from day one. Right. You have to build a relationship with them. They don't know who I am, you know, and so I have to build that relationship with them. And that takes process. It might take the whole season. But I think for me, my, well, you could call it a strategy, like my, my thing with, with, and I do have to really sit down with both Connor and Leon is things like, well, let's, let's sort of have a plan at the beginning of the week so you're not surprised by anything. Here's what we're going to do. Let's try and do it so you're not both doing stuff on the same day. So you have a day off and the other guy can do stuff. And, you know, it, it can kind of work that way. But I think, again, it comes back to that same old thing. Communication, relationships, trust, planning ahead, being on the same page, no surprises, remove distractions, and just, just, just let it kind of be. I mean, there's going to be times where, you know, if the club wins 4-1 and Connor's either, you know, has an assist or he's off the score sheet, he doesn't need to speak every night. Yeah. But unfortunately, you do have those nights where the club loses, you know, 8-2. And that's where your captain has to be out front. He understands that. He knows that. That's the expectation that's been given to him by people far above me. So he knows that. But sometimes it's you're at game, you know, let's say in a regular season, like a normal regular season, when you're in game, you know, 68, sometimes you have to go and look at each other and say, remember our plan back in October or November? Well, here's one of those tough nights. Anybody can do it on the easy night. But you know, the pros are, or they step up and do it on the nights that aren't so fun, you know, and he's young. They're all, they're all young. So hey, you, know, you, you have know, to you, take that into perspective as well. You know what? And just to make that perfectly clear, the only time we ever really talked to Mark Messier back in the old days when we were uh, broadcasting or, or, uh, you know, the, the writers or whatever, we only ever saw mess after losses. And he spoke on behalf of the club if things were going right. well, he always deflected it to the other guys mm-hmm. unless he scored yeah. three or four goals that particular night. So I completely get what you're saying with that. And that's, yeah. that's a great strategy. You're, you're well positioned, man. I, I, it's great to hear. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, you have to have a plan. I mean, like admittedly, like yesterday, you know, I was on a Sunday. I'm not sure when we're airing this, but on a Sunday from my home, I texted Connor and just said, here's what we plan. Here's what we have for the week. We're going to do this, this, you know, it's, uh, we'll make you available on Monday after the skate. Tuesday, we'll, we'll have off. Wednesday is game day. It's the first game of the year. We'll do game day skate and probably post game just to sort of, because it's game one. That would be the expectation. It's the yeah. first game of the year. It's a very, you know, it's a unique year. He texted back within, I would tell you, uh, without exaggeration, a minute. Sounds good to me. I appreciate the plan. Looks good. So, I mean, he's, you know, he's a pro. And he gets it. He understands his role. He understands his role in his team. He understands his role in the league. Um, I introduced myself to the leadership group in separate texts. I just said, this is my name. This is, you know, I'm, I'm doing this now and I'm pleased to meet you. First guy to reply was Connor. Second guy was Leon with exclamation points. Great, great to have you. Look forward to meeting you. So, like, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know if you can ask for a better, a better start. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it's just I, that that's what, that's what you have to do. But again, like we also gave Connor, you know, five days off. He did a Sunday availability the first day of training camp. He didn't do anything again until Friday. I know that he appreciates that. We're out of his orbit. We pop in. Hey, we're good today. He, he knows. He said, "Okay, yeah, I haven't done anything for five days. That's fair." You know. Yeah. As long as he's, you know, you have to respect their time. I mean, it's trust me. I see the time these guys put in. I mean, it is. They are all in all the time. They're here late. They're here early. 
it's it's everything. And there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to win in this league. There's a lot of pressure for everybody. And um, but I, I can't say enough how how great everybody in this organization has been since day one. Well, Jamie, I tell you, we talked about you know this is about relationships, and that that never changes. But what has changed in the last well, just couple years. Uh, but you go back to when you were getting in, first getting into the game uh, with the Eskimos, the technology to yeah. deliver the messages changed. And now, specifically to the circumstances now, COVID-19 changed everything where uh, access to players and coaches became through Zoom in the play-in and playoffs. Um I don't know if things get back to normal and when they do, what that normal looks like, but what are the challenges here today with you and everybody else in your position around the National Hockey League with communicating and getting the message out under uh, the COVID-19 situation? Well, that's just it. I mean, first and foremost, if, if we want to play, you know, there's protocols that are set out and you, you have to be, you know, we're tested every single day. Everybody's tested in this, you know, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but it's as close to a bubble as you can get. Um, so you have to be very respectful of what's going on. Yeah, I think you also have to realize that if you've heard a number of our players talking about this, that there are, let's face it, far more important things that people are facing in their lives right now than the start of an NHL season. So you have to be respectful of that. But in terms of sort of the execution of the job, I mean, it, it is what it is right now. We, we're forced to do this by Zoom. So, what we have to do is make it the best possible quality that we possibly can. We have to make sure that we have the players there and available. We have to make sure that we execute it in the, in a, you know, in a highly professional manner. And we have to be, um, we just have to do the best we can do within the circumstances. Like I don't use words like, Oh, good enough. Or, Oh, Oh, well, you know, like, no, this is what we're going to do it. So we're going to do it to the best of, of our ability. And we're going to try and be the best in the league at doing it. We're going to travel with the best possible equipment. We're going to provide the best possible equipment to our opponents when they're here to make sure they can execute the things they need to do. And we're going to do it to the best, you know, to the best possible degree we can possibly do it at. But I would like to think that as we progress through this and things change and the numbers come down and a vaccine becomes available, that, I would hope by next season we could return to some sort of, you know, uh, you know, normality. I don't know. I, I don't want to start saying the new normal and that kind of thing, but I would like to think that we could have a locker room open, you know, and, and get that because this is not, this is not a, a very good working conditions for the media whatsoever. It's, I mean, it's still the odd, you know, thing you can do for a writer who can do a one-on-one -on -one by phone, which is sort of the old school of doing things sometimes, but, the room needs to be open. Those those relationships need to be established with the media. There needs to be there needs to be people around covering your you know your sport. Just this the whole idea of doing these Zoom calls and stuff like that. There's there is an element that's lost. It's it's not a bad patch, given what we're facing right now. But it's not the same. And I think you if you're saying oh this is just let's just keep doing it like this. I think you're kind of fooling yourself. I don't think it serves anybody um, to the fullest degree. But that's where we're at right now, we and we'll are. do the best with what we got. Hey, and the other thing, too, now you got to deal with two guys right out of the Muppet Show doing a podcast, and uh, awesome. and, and we love it. Uh, it it's, uh, it, you know, it's the media's changed, too. There was traditional mainstream media, but now you, you got a lot sure. of different, uh, 
ways to get your story out. And uh, we, we thank you for your time today because we know the season's coming fast and we're going to let you get right back at it. But we will be talking with you, I'm sure, numerous times throughout the season and we look forward to it. Oh, I look forward to it anytime. I'm happy to happy to help. I hope the ratings don't go down too much for you. Uh, no, it'll be oh. fine. This is uh, great <laughs> stuff today, Jamie. Thanks again. I don't know if it's fair to say he's the pride and joy of St. Paul, Alberta or not. That we, Kyle Brodziak joins us on the show. Were you just born there or did you grow up there a little bit, Kyle? Uh, I lived in St. Paul. I think I was seven uh, when when my family moved to Beggarville. Um, but yeah, I, I still have tons of family in St. Paul. So uh, definitely uh, consider that home as well. So pride and joy of there and Beggarville. You got it covered, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I, you know, Beggarville, my, my mom still lives in Beggarville. Um, yeah, all, you know, all my best buddies I grew up with are, are from there. And uh, I make it back there, you know, every once in a while. Obviously, now it's been a little more difficult with the times we're living in now. But, uh, but yeah, still, still uh, very close. Kyle, we end up saying this a lot on this uh, podcast. You know, Bryn and I have been around a while and, you know, it, the, the saying is time flies. Um, I remember you, well, I mean, you're a, what, a, a 214th draft pick overall back in 2003, 214th. And I, we didn't touch on this, but just in case you were wondering, because I'm sure you don't stay up at night thinking about this, there are all of 18 players from that draft year who played 917 games like you did 18 everybody but one of them was in the first or second round the only guy who's like you he was like a few picks before you was joe pavelski i knew that one yeah so look you took the long road to the national hockey league i remember you on that american hockey league uh, edmonton roadrunners team you were one of the youngest guys on that team all of a sudden, all these years have, have, have gone by. Uh, you're now retired. You got back to Edmonton for that last season. Uh, talk about that. Talk about that road you took to the National Hockey League to get to where you are today. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, so, like you said, my first year was Edmonton Roadrunners. Um, you know, that was first taste of pro hockey. And, uh, you know, it was that was that – was, uh, kind of an up and down year. Uh, you know, we, we were, we had a, a pretty decent team. I thought we, you know, the first half of the year we were kind of in the mix. And uh, I think it was not until maybe March when the wheels kind of fell off February, March. And uh, yeah, we had a, I remember having a, a really long road trip and it was just a, a miserable trip. Yeah. Uh, so that, yeah, that year was kind of a, a, a little bit of a bitter taste in that one. Uh, then the next two years, still in the minors, um, went to, I uh, got loaned to Iowa my second year, uh, played in, uh, played for the Iowa Stars, um, which was Dallas's farm team. Uh, and then the year after I was, uh, in Wilkes-Barre, uh, 
for the Penguins, Pittsburgh's farm team. Uh, the, those are the two years the Oilers didn't have uh, didn't have their own team, so they loaned loaned guys out. And, uh, actually, both they were. You know what? I I can't really complain because it, you know it. Obviously, you're playing in a different system. Um, you know, at early on, you might not get the the opportunities that some of the other guys get from their organization, but. But you know what? I really enjoyed both those years. I made a lot of made a lot of good friends. Uh, enjoyed both those cities, uh, playing on both those teams, and, um, and yeah, Wilkes-Barre kind of you know I I remember going there early on. I think it was a healthy scratch the first game, and then uh, you know I got a got an opportunity to get in the lineup. I think I scored my first game, and uh, then just there was just a, a you know a really fun year. Uh, we had a really good team. Um. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was just a really good experience. Even though, you know, it could have been maybe a little different, but uh, could have been, you know, could have been miserable. You playing in another farm system, but uh, the guys that I was there with, the other Oiler guys, we just we made the best of it. So, uh, and then yeah, after that, that's when uh, you know, the next year, I, I, I uh, made the made the Oilers out of camp, and uh, yeah, and just. Never looked back after that. So, uh, you know, I spent a couple of years in Edmonton. They got traded to Minnesota. Uh, spent six years there. Can't say a bad thing about my time there. It was incredible. Um, and same with St. Louis. Uh, you know, I signed as a free agent in St. Louis and ended up staying there for three years. And, and it's the same thing. I, you know, I don't have a bad thing to say about that place either. Uh, both organizations, both, uh, you know, both cities. It, it was just, awesome it was an awesome experience hey before we go on you kind of alluded to a long road trip and i i remember going on a uh 12 14 day or when i was working for the oilers back in the late 90s and that was painful to be on the yeah. road that long i think it was six games in 14 days but you went on one that was almost twice that long it was like 20 days i think 24 24 holy man <laughs> wow yeah, and and we're losing too, so that oh. that doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, even worse. So, hey, so that must have been. I mean, how do you get through a trip like that? Other than the fact that Robin Brownlee's palling around and he's kind of hovering. Yeah, you know, I, it, that that trip was all a blur. I think you know, I can. You know what? I got a funny story actually. First night of the road trip. I don't know if you remember this story, Robin, but first night of the road trip, we're in Rochester. Uh, I believe we're in Rochester and mm -hmm. staying in the hotel. I was roommate. Oh, who was I roommate? Uh, Mike Bishai. There you go. Yeah. So we were roommates. Um, go to sleep, wake up in the morning. My wallet's gone. So I, you know, start asking around, looking around, uh, find out that JJ Hubert's wallet is also gone from his room. So, you know, basically what we found out was some, in the middle of the night, somebody had broken into our room, stole our wallets. Uh, first first day of this long road trip, so it didn't really get off to a good, good start right there. Um, but, yeah, we, you know, we obviously cancel our, all your cards, uh, order, try to order a new, new credit card, get shipped where I don't kind of remember where we were the rest of the trip. Uh, but, yeah, ID gone, everything, everything gone. Uh, before the end of the road trip, uh, I believe both of our wallets, all of our information got mailed 
to somebody must have found them, and they mailed all of our stuff back to JJ's house. So yeah, it was kind of a wild story. Uh, do you have you have something you want to add to that? I I gotta ask. I mean, I, I I think you and I have had a laugh about this before. What's what was the deal? You showed up for the road trip. I remember a white belt, white shoes, and you kind of had your hair in a comb over as a joke. That's the same trip where, for the hell of it, you showed up on the bus at like 7 a.m. one morning with a whole bunch of uh, razor burn on your head because oh. you thought, hey, why not? I think I'll shave my head with a disposable razor. Talk about that. So... I ran every once in a while. Like right now I have a shaved head. Um, I, I like to shave it every once in a while. Uh, so I don't know why it was, it, I think it was at like midnight or one in the morning when I got back to the, when we got to the hotel, decided I was going to shave my head. And I had a, I had an electric beard trimmer that I was doing it with. And <laughs> halfway through battery died. I couldn't get it charged. I couldn't get enough power in this thing to finish my shaving the rest of my head. So, cause we were, I think there was like a seven, like you said, a seven o'clock, uh, 7 a.m. bus. So I had to figure something out to get the rest of the hair shaved, taken off my head. So I just used a razor. Yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I, that picture you said, I can't believe you have that picture. Oh, I have, oh, I, have I have, I have <laughs> Those pictures don't go away. Come on. <laughs> that was before all the advances in phone technology. So I'm surprised you still had that picture. Hey, I, yeah, you know, no. you, you were talking about, uh, you know, you mentioned Minnesota and you mentioned St. Louis. So you've got Edmonton, Minnesota, St. Louis. I, I don't know if I can throw Detroit into this category, but those first yeah. three cities are often so overlooked sometimes by fans or players as being, I don't know if, you know, that's kind of a way from things, but having gone to these places, they're really wonderful places to play. They're great places to visit. And you talked about the fact that you settled in beautifully in both Minnesota and in St. Louis, the Detroit thing, you can address that too, but these are cities that I think are very underrated in a lot of ways. Do you think that's a fair assessment by me? Absolutely. Um, Minnesota, so we, we love, my wife and I love the city. Um, we lived in the downtown area for the first three years. And then uh, after we had our first boy, we moved into, uh, we bought a house and uh, kind of in the suburb area. Um, but just uh, the city, the, the city is great. Uh, tons of restaurants, uh, actually just lots of action. If, you know, if you're into that thing, those days are kind of gone for us now, but, uh, but it, it was, um, you know, the people in Minnesota are famously friendly. They, they say it's pretty much as close to a Canadian city as you're going to get. And we found that to be very true where it's, you know, everybody there is friendly. Um, so that, yeah, that, that's Minnesota. St. Louis, um, didn't know much about St. Louis at all. Uh, you know, it, kind of the downtown areas, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of told to, to maybe not go out, uh, late at night walking around the downtown area, which is, uh, which is probably true. But when we got there, one thing that I, I couldn't believe was how many, uh, 
St. Louis Blues alumni players had made that their, you know, their home after hockey. Yeah. Um, that was surprising. And then after spending a few years uh, playing there, it's actually really not surprising at all. Um, once you, you know, once you get out of the downtown area, there's tons of great suburbs that are, um, you know, the people are friendly. People are very friendly in that city as well. Uh, the weather is great there. Um, yeah, it was just just a, a a good city to raise you know raise our family for a few years there. So, Kyle, um, again, like we said off the top, I look at you where you were drafted, how you came up. I mean, the National Hockey League is a long shot, no matter how good you are as a junior. You you know how the pyramid works. All the best guys on their team move up, and then the, there's best guys that come out of that group, and the higher you go, the tougher it is. 917 games. You came to this town as a young guy, a single guy. You're back now. Uh, you at least got that last spin uh, with the Oilers back in your home province. It didn't end the way you wanted to because of the back. But you're a father of three now. You're settled into what I think Sherwood Park area. Um, that journey, now that you look back at it, uh, about as good as you, any kid hoping to make the NHL could have hoped. And second part of that, how's life for you now? What's what's a typical day for Kyle Brodziak now? Okay, um, yeah, absolutely. The you know the journey was more than I could have ever expected. Um, I remember, I, I remember, uh, it would have been the first year when I first year pro with the Roadrunners. Uh, just thinking, man, would it be nice to just play a few games in the NHL? Uh, or just, you know, even one full year would be just incredible. Um, and then, yeah, to, to get the chance to do it, you know, you don't, you're not really thinking, I guess, long-term at that point. Uh, early on in your career, you're just happy to be where you are at that, at that point and uh, try to make the best of it. And, um, you know, it's definitely uh, de- definitely different looking back on it and, you know, I guess playing as long as I did, I, I never would have expected to play that long. Um, definitely grateful for that. Um, and, yeah, it just, you know, we talked about it earlier uh, before the show, how, how time flies, and uh, it really did. It, it flew by, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, um, you know, I – I had a long career. I'm satisfied with, you know, with, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm, I'm sad that my career is over. Uh, I think I was, you know, I, I think I was getting, getting ready for, uh, for things to wind down when they did. Obviously would have liked to play that, uh, that last year on my contract, but, uh, uh, but yeah, that's the way, that's the way, uh, that's the way it went. And I, I have no regrets towards that. And, uh, yeah, second part now, I'm just, hanging at home and enjoying the home life. And, uh, you know, finally, after all these years of traveling, I, I, I get to get to stay home full time and, um, you know, enjoy my family. Uh, you know, I, I, I've talked about this with a few other people. What the toughest part I, I felt like, um, you know, let's say I'm home, you're home for a week and you finally get back into that home routine. Um, uh, it, it just becomes like a cycle where, you know, then you leave and you're gone for a week and then you come home and it's like restarting again. And that's, that, that's what I think I had the most difficulty with, or, uh, excuse me, the most uh, difficult time with was just that, 
that never ending cycle of you, you don't ever really get comfortable being at home for, uh, you know, for long stretches. And, uh, now that I've got the opportunity to do that, uh, you know, I'm very uh, grateful for it. All boys in your household. All boys. All boys. Yeah. So, so now have you gone from a playing career to one of being a referee? It pretty much. Yep. Yeah, pretty much. That's, that's what it's like all day long here. Just, the, the non-stop arguing and fighting and getting into trouble, but yeah, but it's fun though. You know, Brodzy, down the road, um, you never, you don't need to look too far. I mean, you, you, you got uh, those kids to keep you busy, but uh, you've been out of hockey now for a little bit. Uh, you got your eye on anything? Do you see yourself, uh, you know, getting back in the game at all? I was looking this morning, a guy who was in the league a long time, uh, the Arizona Coyotes just hired Shane Doan uh, oh. in in player development. Yeah, that just came out this morning. So Doner's a rink rat. He always was. I remember him in Kamloops, and yeah. uh, uh, so he's back. What What about you? What's what, What's down the road for you? Yeah, that's still uh, still up in the air. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I've I've kind of always thought maybe coaching. I get in, getting into coaching. I'm I'm not. I'm not sure though. I, I, I decided uh, early on after hockey was done that I'm not going to think about what I want to do next just yet. I want to, I want to really take this time and enjoy, uh, enjoy the time at home. And eventually I, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out when the time is right, uh, what I want to do and, and what direction I want to go in, but I'm uh, not there yet. Um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, Eventually, uh, uh, another year or so at home, I, I could maybe see uh, uh, starting to get the ball rolling in another direction. But uh, I just don't know. I'm not sure uh, where I want to go with it just yet. I'm obligated to, to bring this next part up because having been the voice of the Moose Jaw Warriors for f- almost five seasons back in the late 80s, if I don't bring up a Moose Jaw question, I hear from all sorts of people in Regina and and Moose Jaw, but you played there. Were, now, you the crush can had had was it gone or were you still playing? Oh, were you no, were, we played. I was there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't really begin to describe how much fun it was to do broadcasts out of there. But playing there, talking to Theo, talking to Kelly Bookberger, Alal Odlin, uh, I'm Jim McKenzie, and guys like that back in the day. But that was quite the place to play junior. Oh, it was incredible. Uh, to if you played for the Warriors, yes. every other player or team that went to that building hated that rink. Uh, but if you played there, if that was your home, then it was incredible. Um, I I remember that rink when playoff time. It was so packed in there. Uh, I don't like you. You look in the like people were lined up. In the basically in the up the stairs in that rink, like yeah. it, it just it was crazy how uh, how loud and how uh, you know I'm trying to think of another word to describe it. Well, it was how, it was a circus atmosphere in there. And by the way, if I don't mention Mike Keen, I'll hear about it. Another guy who played <laughs> there, but no, it's just it was. It, I don't think the fire marshal ever came in unless he was wearing a Warriors jersey. They didn't really care, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, the, the rink had some issues to it. Uh, there was a few times I remember 
coming uh, coming to the rink after school and you're expecting to go on the ice and practice and then you look on the ice and uh, condensation from the roof was dripping on the ice and there were these big mounds uh, mounds of ice all over that uh, you know that made it kind of impossible to practice but uh, but you learn to love it though you're when you you know when you're there every day and uh, you know just the whole experience it, it, it probably took a little time to, to learn to love it but uh, I'll, I'll always remember that rink. It's funny. Things, some things never change. Bryn was there way before you. I was in there uh, before you. We'd go in to the jaw uh, with the Blazers, and there were some bloody good teams there. I mean, Robbie Brown was on that team, Mark Recchi, uh whole bunch. This was way before guys like Don't even came along. This is mid-'80s. Hitch was yeah. the coach. We hated playing there. Whether you guys were good or bad or indifferent, it just was not a fun place to play if you weren't a local, you know? Yeah, that's that, everybody you talked to just hated that rink. But you know, the only guys that liked it were the, the ones that, you know, that, that was their rink. That was their home. That's the, the only people who loved that rink. Well, Rob Carney and I set up our broadcast location. It was glassed in. We turned it, we brought in tropical plants and a heater because we knew the barn was freezing for everybody else. So, yeah. and on occasion when Regina would come into town, we'd wear Hawaiian shirts because we wanted it to just, you know, we did everything we could to basically F around with everybody because it was just so much fun. And the fans, it was a great city. I really enjoyed my, my time there because they were so passionate about it. But I just, I wanted to bring it up because like I said, everybody always says he didn't ask a, a Moose Jaw warrior question. So I thought I'd better get to that. But uh, yeah. to kind of move, to kind of move, do you want to more on that, Robin, or you want to move on? Because I, I got a couple other questions well, too. I'm good. I, I, I want us to talk to Kyle about how that back of his is going to hold up in that uh, world's longest hockey yeah. game at Sakers Acres. Because I've been out there, I've seen some pretty healthy men broken down by the time and the cold. I mean, I remember Yanni Ninema came out and played. Uh, in that game at Sakers Acres. Those guys are nuts, Brodsey. They are so determined. They wrap their feet. They got the blisters. They got the, but they put on the gear and they keep going out. What, uh, how, how did it line up that you signed up for this thing? Uh, a friend of mine from Beggarville, uh, Zenith Karbaniski, actually, uh, he's playing in it and he's the one who, who brought it up to me. Uh, it would have been about a week or two ago. Uh, uh -huh. He just asked if I was interested in, um, you know, I, at the time when he asked, I, I was probably a little scared, a little hesitant to say yes. Um, but after, uh, you know, doing a little bit of research on it, I, I'm now at the point where I'm grateful that they asked me. I, uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, I think it's for a great cause. Uh, I know it's going to be difficult. Uh, everybody who's done it before has said, you know, it, it's, it's going to be tough, but it's also going to be the time of your life. So, um, I, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, like you said about my back, I, I, you know, living everyday life, I, I kind of have a, a regiment that I, that I have to do to, to keep my back strong and healthy. And, uh, but this is going to be a whole new animal and I don't know how it's going to, uh, how it's going to react, but, uh, you know, I'm going to do do the best I can to take care of it. So, Hey, before we let yeah. you go here and we'll, we'll have all the information on the event as we get a little closer to it. So uh, good luck surviving and watch your toes is what everybody says. 
Frostbite is usually a problem, although the way this winter's gone, I'm not so sure. Hey, before you go, I got to ask, uh, you played a ton of games. You got to remember one particular goal or one particular moment through your career. Can you sum it up? Uh, yeah, probably, you know, probably the most, uh, right away, the first thought that came into my head was uh, game seven overtime. Uh, I was playing with Minnesota against Colorado. Uh, I didn't score the goal. I got an assist. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was the craziest game that I've ever been a part of. Uh, just the back and forth, back and forth. Uh, and it just, uh, you know, we, we tied it. Uh, late, I think a couple minutes left because uh, they've they taken the lead I think two or three different times in the third period and we just came back, tied it, they'd take the lead, we tied it. Uh, so we tied it uh, a few minutes left, heading into overtime um, I'm on the ice, they have a, a you know a very dangerous chance and uh, they put it towards our net uh, and it's just like, I remember it vividly thinking, uh-oh, it, this is it. It's over. Puck goes to the corner, and, and Danny Healy went to the corner to pick up the puck. And me, uh, meanwhile, myself and Nino Niederreiter, uh, we took off up the ice, and Heater laid this perfect sauce pass right on my tape um, to, to make that pass. I it was actually thinking back on it. was uh, That pass he made was incredible. And so then we go up the ice on a two-on-one, and I feed it over to Nino. He's got the hot hand. Uh, incredible shot. I, I opened up for him just in case he wanted to pass, which I found out later he wanted to pass the whole time. Uh, but their D-man taking it away, and he goes, he just ripped one bar down, and just it was the probably the best hockey moment I've ever had in my life. Wow. There you go. Hey, listen, thanks for your time. I'd love to catch up with you, and so would Robin as we – the season's just starting. Maybe as we get a little closer towards a playoff round, we'd love to check in with you again, okay? And, and maybe you can work on broadcasting. You never mentioned broadcasting oh. hockey. You've, uh, no, you've my, kid, mom's always, you've my mom has always kind of brought that up and, and mentioned that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, uh, it's just as unstable as coaching. Yeah. <laughs> So, I get I get I don't know if I I don't know if I have the stomach for it. I get nervous just to do an interview on radio. So I don't know if I, I don't know if I'd be able to do it full time. Ah, you've been great. Thanks Thank for you. your time. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having for me. Okay, so there you go. There's Kyle Brodziak, and we talked earlier with Jamie Cartmel from the Edmonton Oilers, their new director of communications. Hey, before we go too far, we do have to tell you The Outsiders is brought to you by the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Had a great conversation with Brent McIntosh just last week, talking about the year ahead and how excited they are about things. They're very upbeat about the market. Actually, while there were less homes to sell, they sold faster, and they sold for a little bit more than you would think. So they are quite uh, quite bullish on 2021, but of course... Who knows what new surprises are going to come around the corner this uh, this particular calendar year. But the one thing that I've learned about everybody over there and Brent's team is just all you have to do is watch how they dealt with the challenges that were thrown in front of them last year. And while it was a sluggish start to 2020, they finished the year in a rather successful manner. And so uh, obviously, if you're looking to buy or sell a new home, 
or maybe would like some information, then get a hold of Brent or any of his team at the McIntosh Group at 780-464-0075. Or you can also check them out online at macintoshgroup.ca. Like I said, they're looking for sellers, buyers, and a new agent. And we're thankful that they're back on with us here in 2021 as one of our sponsors. We do appreciate that. Hey, before we uh, kind of wrap things up here, let's talk about the world's longest game of hockey coming up. It's the 4th of February through to the 15th. Brent Sake does an unbelievable job with this and his group. And how many years is this now, Robin, for the world's longest game of hockey? This will be the seventh edition. Uh, started, first one was 2003. They have raised right at um, about 5.5 million bucks to this point. And they work alongside the Cure Cancer Foundation. I'm involved with them with their summer golf tournament and some of their other projects like the Toast of the Town event. And I'm hoping that we can get back to more normalcy so that both of those two events can can be held this coming summer. But you talked about $5 million that Brent and all the hockey players have generated through that event, that event. I've had a chance to go through the Cross Cancer Institute, both as, uh, as somebody who's curious and on a foundation and also as a patient. And they yep. have got some unbelievable equipment there that's very expensive. And the last trip that I did through there, they showed me off. They showed me some of the equipment that they've paid off thanks to the world's longest game of hockey. And if you were somebody who contributed to that event, in any manner, whether you were a donor or whether or not you played or you just went out and watched and contributed a little cash, you can be proud of everything that has gone right back into the Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton. Well, I, I tell you, Bryn, I've gone out to every single event uh, that they've held. And if you ever want to be uh, inspired, if you ever want to see the best of our humanity here in Alberta, you watch that game and you watch the players play it. What they're uh, fundraising for is so very important and has touched absolutely everybody. Yeah. Um, but what they go through every year to raise that money, it really does the heart good. And, you know, I'm not sure where we'll be um, with COVID regulations between the 4th and the 15th, but, no matter what you do, if you can support this group of people, and it's a, it's a lot of the same guys come out year after year after year. Um, you know, Kyle Brodziak talked about taking part in it. Um, Yanni Ninema has played in that game. Uh, but it's, it's mostly a bunch of people who just give a damn. And fourth to the 15th, can you imagine playing hockey that, that long? Well, they imagine it because they look at what's the end of that final uh, whistle, and that's the good that that fundraising does. So by all means, uh, if you can get behind it, please do. Okay, before we wrap things up here, we have to tell you we have an email address. If you want to get a hold of us, it's real simple. The email address is theoutsiders at shaw.ca. So that's theoutsiders at shaw.ca. You can also check us out on Twitter. The handle's pretty simple. It's at Outsiders 2020. So that's at Outsiders 2020. The other thing too, make sure that you tell your friends and subscribe to the RSS feed. 
And that would be on any of your favorite ear candy sites, you know, like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast. There's a lot of them out there. And uh, if you subscribe to the RSS feed, the moment we drop a new podcast, you get you get an immediate download. So, And they'll even tell you there's a new episode out. But most people have figured it out. We're out by Monday afternoon generally. So we, uh, we appreciate your support. Financial support is also important for us too. If you are interested in being one of the sponsors like the Macintosh Group, we, uh, we want to get bigger, we want to get better, and we can only do that with the support of the people who listen and the people who think that there's value in what we're doing. And uh, we, we're having a lot of fun with this. So I don't think I can say any more than that, Robin. Nope, it was a hell of a show. Uh, and on to the next one. Oh, and between now and the next one, on to the National Hockey League season, if all things go well, Wednesday. We will have a lot to talk about next week. Robin, thanks. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, man. All right. In the meantime, and in between time, that's it. Another edition. One thing.